Good morning, and welcome to the Shepherd Peace Ministries. I'm Nathan Clark. And here today on our weekly worship, we're going to be looking at a series in the area of questions and answers in Genesis. The reason that I'm taking on this particular series is the first couple of chapters in Genesis, I believe, are absolutely fundamental in understanding the rest of the Bible. Depending on whether or not we get, we'll say, some of these questions that we're going to look at, right or wrong, well, is actually the filter that many difficult situations in the Word of God are filtered through. And so if we don't get these right, then we're not likely to get many of the other parts of the Bible right. So I want to look at today at some of the, but we're not going to, Genesis, the first four chapters in Genesis are so packed full of theological information. Some of it's blatantly obvious. Some of it's kind of hidden. You kind of have to pry it out a little bit to find that it's there. And I, I, I'm not going to address every single thing. But I do want to hit what I believe to be, we'll say, the theological foundational highlights. Those questions that will truly determine the way you see the Word of God. And it'll help you um, see who God really is. But as we go into this study, as always, it's important that our agenda is set appropriately. Now, I've, I've taken the time to, to look at every one of these questions for a little bit. And so I've asked this question myself, and so I'm asking you to ask this same question. Many of the positions that I'm going to take here, you may not agree with, and I'm okay with that. But my challenge to you is, is regardless of whether you accept what, is, what we look at here today, or you reject what we look at here today, are you willing to say that either way, I'm okay with it if it's God's way? And, and that's, that's the position that I'm coming from, is that if, I, I'm not even sure there's a single one in here that I really have a preference. I may use the word preference, but it's only accidentally because I, I may have a preference saying that it, I, I prefer this one because it looks more biblical. But I don't actually have a personal preference, uh, we'll say, in the area that may, well, it could go that way or good. I'm good either, either way. It does not matter to me. All I want is to truly understand what God is trying to tell us here. So I just want to take this moment to go back and just see if we can't determine what the author is truly telling us in these first four chapters in Genesis. So let's begin. Let's turn to our, let's look at our first question. The first question we're going to look at is how much time is between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Is there a, what is the time gap there? So let's, let's begin by just reading those verses. So let's turn to our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now here, we say, is our, our three options. The first option is, is that there is a, um, a time period, a natural time period, God, between verse 1 and 2, where verse 1 is saying God created the earth and created the heavens, and then he just kind of walked away from his creation. And we don't know how long that time span could be. 
It could be thousands of years. It could be millions of years. It could be billions of years. God doesn't, doesn't live in time. So for God, it was just a moment for us. It was, you know, a, a, a very long period of time. Or the second position we could have is that verse one is actually in this, the first one we just mentioned is called the gap theory. The theory that verse one is a, a, a portion of creation. It's, we'll say the beginning of it, but again, God walked away and then he came back and he finished the next six days, what we know as creation today, gap theory. The second one is, is that verse one, it represents a perfect and complete creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It's done. It's even describing, we'll say, the first um, uh, attempt to do the next six days that we're going to read about here. That, 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 that happened already one time in history. Earth was formed, there was life, there was trees, there was rivers. It was just a beautiful paradise. And then Satan fell from heaven and he came down to earth and there was this great battle. And all the earth was destroyed. And then we come to verse number two, where the earth was without form and void. And this is now coming up upon the destroyed earth. All right. And so that that's, we'll say, our second theory. Now, our third theory is, or position that we could have, is that one and two are part of the first day. So let's look at some of the, the biblical. This is we can make an entire hour lesson out of this. I don't want to do that. So all I want to do here, we'll say, in this attempt to answer some of these questions, is I don't want to draw them out. I just want to plant some seeds and give you something that you be can begin to look into on your own and begin to dig into the Word of God and, and see if you can't confirm that I'm right or wrong in, in these, uh, these questions. So, the, so to answer that, that first question, let's just drop down to... Uh, Verse number three, what happens is a lot of times our theology, we build a theology just off of one or two verses. We don't look at the verses before and we don't look at the verses behind. And a lot of times that all can be answered just by going to another part of the Bible. It is so important that when we culminate a, a, a theological foundation, that we don't build it right out of just one or two verses, even out of just one chapter. The Bible said one of the basic principles of interpreting the Bible is in the mouth of two or three witnesses. There must be another witness somewhere in the word of God that confirms that what's being said is actually true and is from the, word, the mouth of God. So we need to do that with this. If I just stand, I can basically, verse 1 and 2, if I just stay right there, I camp out right there, I can make that say a lot of things. There's a lot of mysterious wording right there that I can turn into just about anything. But then I have to go a little further. And I actually, I actually sat in on a couple of sermons where an individual would, would he, and he boasted of how I want to go through the Bible verse by verse. That way we can't get it wrong. Now, in theory, that sounds really wonderful. But this is how they, he would do it. One evening, he would go through um, a chapter. And he'd go through that whole thing, and he would give his interpretation of what that chapter read. He didn't cross-reference any other part of the Bible. He stayed right there in that chapter. That's not too terrible. I mean, he's going to go through the whole Word of God, right? Verse by verse. So it's going to work itself out. But then the, the next week, when he goes to the next chapter, he basically contradicts what he said in the first chapter. 
But I bet you not hardly anyone in that congregation put that together. And the reason is, is that when we focus on the Word of God just one little verse at a time, we can read into that and then go to the next verse a week later and read something completely different into that and not be able to connect the dots if those two verses contradict each other. So I think it's really important that when we begin to take a verse and say, what does this mean? That we go ahead at that moment and see what the rest of the Word of God says to confirm that to be true. So we're going to just read the very next verse and see if we can't get this question answered right here. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the, saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And then here's our, here's going to pretty much answer the question. And God called the light day, the darkness he called night and the evening and the morning were the first day. What day are we into right now? In this, in these, we'll say verse one and five. It tells us right there. We're in the first day. So we have to come right back to that very first clause there in, in verse number one. It says, in the beginning. What is the beginning? We have to be able to tr understand beginning, not from to God's eyes, because God doesn't have a beginning. God doesn't have an end. God is the I am that I am. That very statement. That label, that name, we'll say is the best that the English language could come up with to describe a God that is, for, is, is, is without time. I'm not the past, I'm not the future, I'm not the present. I'm always. I am that I am. So God is outside of time. And until his creation, there was no time. Time was part of God's creation. He created a beginning point, and that is 1-1, one, one. in the beginning. So once the beginning started, then we now have to have, we'll say, increments to measure time. And of course, we measure time in, in many different labels, but the one that the Bible likes the most is days. So we know that time is measured in the Bible by days. And we just labeled, verse number five says, this is the first day. Now we have to make sure we're in the right Bible. There's, there's other translations that will leave out the word first. They'll say, and this was a day, any given day in time. Or dare I say, some Bibles even read, this was the first age. That, that, now we get into this idea that time with God is, a, a day with man is like a thousand years with God. And therefore, we try to read into, well, isn't a day in the Bible representing, or at least here in the, isn't it possible that a day in, the, in creation is really representing a God day, a thousand years? Well, we can shut that down as well, and I'm going to show you here in just a second. But it's important to know that there has to be, at the beginning point, that's when time began. And it's just take, pick up a stopwatch and you just click it, and it begin, the numbers begin to roll. That's what happened when it said, in the beginning, whatever happened, whether it was a lightning bolt come out of God's finger or just a thought went to his head, but as soon as it began to appear, the stopwatch started. And God hit a, we'll say, a, a measuring point. He clicks that little measuring point at day number one. But are these a thousand year days? Or are these actual 24 hour days? Let's turn into our Bible, Exodus chapter 20, because the same author of Genesis 
revisits the same thing. This, this, we'll say this same sixth day creation, but he gives us a clue of how long these days really were. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20. We all very familiar with, with this chapter. It has the 10 commandments, which we like to pick and choose, which we want to use. But there's the one, we'll say the most popular commandment in the, in the 10 commandments that is completely ignored. Um, it's about the Sabbath, but we're going to jump into this, this verse, these verses here, even if you don't like the Sabbath, they still have some really deep theological information that's going to help us shed light on how long the days were in creation. So we're going to jump down to verse number 11. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all therein them is and rested the seventh day. Now, in the Ten Commandments, is Moses talking about taking thousand-year Sabbaths? Uh, do we really have a question of what time period Moses taught? No. Moses is giving, is laying out God's commandments to the people of Israel, and he's explaining to them on a weekly, our weekly, our seven-day, 24-hour day basis that once every seventh day, on a Pacific day, we're to rest and to honor God through a Sabbath day. And then he uses as a reference, for example, in six days, he's taken us right back to the Sabbath that we see here in Genesis chapter 2, where, where God completed his work and he says that he's taken a rest. That's the comparison that he's making. So he's comparing our week and our Sabbath to God's week and God's Sabbath, which means that God's week and our week are the same weeks. It's a 24-hour period. So to answer the question, and there, we could go many other places, but, you know, sometimes just the simple answer is all we need. The simple answer is, is that the time period between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 is at least or less than 24 hours. That's it, because it was happened all in the first day. It began, and then we had a first day. 24 hours was whatever we want to see happen. And then as far as answering the question of how long the days were in creation, the Bible, again, is very clear that it was a literal 24-hour day. Question number one. All right, our second question. What was the light prior to the sun and the moon? So in verse number 14 of Genesis chapter 1, we said, And God said, Let there be light in the firmament of the heaven, and divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Now I'm going to intercede here just for a second. For those of you who like to work out your calendars, get the biblical calendar just right. My particular, well, my experience is, is that I run into two basic kind of people. All solar calendar or all lunar calendar. They don't want to deviate one from the other, which really complicates trying to figure out how the calendar works. But I want you to see here that God used the sun and the moon to determine the seasons and to determine the days and to determine the years. So we are to use not just the sun to determine our calendar and not just the moon to determine our calendar, but we need to utilize with our intellect uh, the culmination of both of them together to line out how we determine what, where days fall throughout the year. 
But now we know this to be verse number 15. And let them be for a light in the firmament of the heaven and give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two greater, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And he made the stars and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. All right, so we're in the day number four and we're just now getting the sun and the moon and the stars. But over here in the first day, we just read just a second ago that God said, let there be light and there was light. So what is the light that we see in Genesis chapter one, verse three? What you're going to find when we try to answer a lot of questions in the area of Genesis is that Revelation is a really great place to go to kind of fill in some of the blanks. And I'm going to tell you why. The reason is Genesis is how things were supposed to be. For, that's how they were supposed to be for all eternity. That was God's original creational design. Revelation takes us back to where that original design is supposed to be. So we got Genesis, and then we messed it up, and then we got all the rest of the Bible about how we're going to try to function inside this fallen world. And then we have Revelation, where God is now shedding some light on how things are going to be again. And a lot of that is going back. God didn't mess up the first time. It was perfect. So he's going to take us back to, in my personal opinion, almost exactly the way it was in the Garden of Eden. So by seeing what Je Revelation says, tells us a lot about what Genesis was supposed to look like. So let's turn in our Bibles um, to uh, Revelation, and we're gonna go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, and we're gonna begin in verse number 21. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gates was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. Now this is a description of the new Jerusalem. And I saw no temple there, for the Lord God Almighty, the Lamb, are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun. There we go neither the moon to shine in or rather to shine in it for the, and here's the answer. Okay. So, so for what we've got here so far is we, we have a description of the new Jerusalem. This is going to be in the new kingdom, a new heaven, a new earth. All right. So we know from what we just talked about earlier, the idea that the earth had been destroyed and God's rebuilding the earth. We, we, we know that's not true because there's, we're still in the first one. We find that in revelation right here in these verses. But now we're, we're into the second earth. We're into the, the new earth and the new heaven and Jerusalem is, is now, now present and it's a, a pretty awesome place. It says it's, it's transparent like glass. The walls of Jerusalem you can see through. I can't imagine what that's like. But at that location, there's not gonna be a need for the sun or the moon because it's gonna have another light source. Now, I don't think this is saying that the new earth, that when, when we get the new earth, that there won't be a sun or a moon. 
I, I think there will. There's, I don't, if I'm wrong, you guys can help me out if you know some verses that I'm not aware of that say that the, the sun and the moon is going to be completely done away with. You, you let me know. I want to know. But from what I understand, this is just talking about the location of Jerusalem. Because the location of Jerusalem has something special. And here's, here's what it is. And it says to shine. Okay, so for, when verse number 23. For the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. So in this new Jerusalem, we won't have a need for the sun and we won't have a need for the moon because we have the presence of God, the presence of Jesus. He's going to be our light. And then we need a second witness. Go to um, Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. And there shall be no night. Okay, there shall be no night there. It's talking about Jerusalem again. There'll be no night there and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. So there will be no need for a sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So there is my proposal that when it says, let there be light, and there was light, that God is shining forth his own light, the glorious presence of God and Christ there at creation was the light that lit the earth. And it wasn't until day four until we have the light that you and I are now familiar with, which is the sun, the moon, and the stars. All right, next question. What is kind referenced to in Genesis chapter one? Kind is mentioned in the in, in Genesis, well, it's mentioned in the Bible a lot. But it's mentioned in Genesis chapter one ten times. And it's mentioned oftentimes as kind after kind. So this is kind of important, I think, to understand what kind means. That way, because we can be appropriate in utilizing, making sure that when we have the opportunity that we are operating in kind after kind. So what is kind in the Bible? Now, there's going to be many ministries out there that may disagree with me behemothly, and I'm okay with that. But again, I come back to the same challenge. I don't have a problem with the position that other ministers have on kind. I think it's pretty far-fetched. I really do. But I don't have a problem with it. If it is, in fact, what God is referencing. If God says that their belief in kind is true, I'm, I am all on, I'm on board 110%. I'm good with it. Okay? All I want is God's truth. But what I'm seeing coming out of the, uh, these ministries and out of the churches... In the mainstream world, doesn't really seem to fit what the Bible says. So I'm not going to go. This is a pretty big subject, just like a lot of the subjects we're going to be looking at here in Genesis. Uh, but I just want to plant a seed. What the Bible, if nothing else, it just gives you a, a, a point of reference that you can go and then you can decide for yourself um, which one you want to make part of your belief system. But I want to show you what the Bible does reference kind as being. Kind is a, a broad word. I think, for example, I can have um, a coffee mug. And I, there can be different kinds of coffee mugs. There can be the mugs that have a handle. I can have a coffee mug that doesn't have a handle. I can have coffee mugs that have pictures. Coffee mugs that don't have pictures. I can have a coffee mug that is um, straight up and down on the walls, or I can have one that's tapered. There's multiple different kinds of coffee mugs. That's within coffee mug. So that's getting pretty specific. 
Okay, when we say kind after kind, that means that the straight wall coffee cups are to stay with the straight wall coffee cups, and they're not to mix with the, uh, we'll say, the uh, picture coffee cups, because that's a different kind of coffee cup. But then you can expand the word kind into something a little larger, and we can say that there's different type, there's different kinds of cups. There's the glass cup, there's the tall cups, and then there's the coffee mugs. That's a different kind of cup. Right, so we can see that kind can be really specific or it can be really general. But here's what I want to, here's what I want to do. I want to give you the opportunity not to lock yourself in to what I believe a lot of ministries are trying to do. They're trying to lock you into the idea that kind has to be broad. And when it says kind after kind, they're talking about a very, very broad subject. One ministry that's very popular today that I have in mind um, particularly actually holds the position that if we were to use, we'll say, the, uh, the, the way the world categorizes life or animals, we're familiar with it, with species and genius and family. He's taken it all the way back to family. Now, what family is, if we were to say kind after kind represents family, family would be like uh, the feline. That's a family. You have the cat family and you have the dog family. So if we take it that far back, then what basically means saying as long as the cat is staying within the cat, then God's saying that's perfectly okay. Cats can breed with cats and there's no problem with that. Dogs breed with dogs and that's no problem with that. And of course, then we get the, uh, what I consider to be the evolutionary belief that all dogs came from one dog, all cats came from one cat, and all other animals came from one specific common ancestor. Well, that's, that's evolution. Uh, and that is not scientifically accurate. It's pretty simple that if I breed a house cat with a house cat, it will never, God is my witness, it will never turn into a tiger. I promise you. And if you breed a tiger with a tiger, it will never turn into a house cat. Ever. And the, even, the, we'll say, the chances when utilizing mutation and all these other words that they want to mix in there, it would quite literally, if, if it was even possible, it would quite literally take millions of years in, or, in order for that to happen. Which is why evolutionists love time. That's their religion. Time is their religion. It's because time makes the impossible seem possible. And now we have Christians coming on board with that as well. So I, want to be, I don't want to lock you into that box. So I, if, if nothing else, I just want to free you with the opportunity. I want to show you that you're not committing intellectual suicide, that you're not committing um, spiritual suicide just because you believe that kind after kind is far more specific than staying within the cat family. And so here's my verses to kind of back that up. Now we could, this is again, a big subject. I could spend several hours here, but I just want to plant the seed with a few moments that we have. So let's turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verse number 19. And here we read, okay. Ye shall keep my statute. So we know this is a law. Right there. There's oftentimes a question on, well, kind after kind, is that, is that a law or is that a statement? Well, I truly believe that it's a law. God's telling you, this is what I want you to do. Which tells us, it tells us something really special. It tells us that if, if there's a law placed that tells me what I should do, then that means that I can break the law. 
you with me so far? The idea that God's going to place a law that cannot be broke. Because I was at a, uh, a creationist museum, and that was, it was a good, good setup. I enjoyed my time there. But the, the young man that was given the tour, he said, well, they've, they've now, theologians, they've now looked at kind as possibly being anything that can reproduce itself. So as long as I can produce a viable offspring, I'm within God's law of kind after kind. God wouldn't make a law if it couldn't be broken. So, and I'm going to show that right here. So this idea, and again, I just want to free you. I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to box you into my belief. I just want to free you from the idea that you have to buy in to some of these other positions that don't really seem to fit the Bible. So I'm going to show you from the Bible how that's not necessarily accurate. So what we're looking at here, the idea that I can reproduce, therefore it's okay. We're going, okay, now we're in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 19. Ye shall keep my statutes. So we're in the law. This is the law system. Keep my statutes. Thou shalt, now here's the thing I want you to understand about statutes. We have commandments, statutes, and judgments. The commandments is the law. That's what we'll say the ultimate goal is. The statute is how we utilize the law. It's telling you, we'll say, the more specifics of what you're supposed to do in order to get the law achieved. Which tells us, since we're in the statute, it's going to give us some um, tidbits on what we're not to do. Which tells me that there has to be a law that the statute is operating under. And that law, of course, is kind after kind. This is a statute, a statute, to describe how to utilize the law of kind after kind. Ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy, thy cattle gender with diverse kinds. Gender is the key word. If we take that one out, one could say, well, we just don't want them to hang out with each other. But that's not what gender means. Gender means breed. So let me say that in a more simple way. Thou shalt not let thy cattle reproduce with a diverse kind. Now, a cow cannot reproduce with a sheep. So that's not what we're talking about in diverse kinds, okay? A cow cannot reproduce with a horse. So that's not what we're talking about when I say diverse kinds. A cow can only reproduce with another cow. But what we're going to learn from this verse is, is that a cow has different kinds of cows. That's the Bible. If you don't like what I'm saying, I understand that. I do, I do. But I want to make, I want to, I'm working real hard here to keep all my opinions and all my feelings out of this, even though I hope that my feeling is, is that I just want the truth of God. I'm reading to you from the word of God. This is what God's word says, that we are not, just because we can reproduce does not mean that it's okay. In fact, it's saying, don't do it. Make sure that when you reproduce something, even an animal, how much more greater is it for, God, for God's people? The people that God created need to hold this standard far more than the animals. We've messed the animals up so bad, I'm not even sure that we can go back and fix it. But it's not too late for the people. So if it's, if it's this important to God to make sure that we're not reproducing with the wrong cow, Think about that. 
what that means. So to answer the question, what is kind? One option will say, well, I'm not going to lock kind in in the Bible every single time, meaning that it's talking about something as small as different kinds of a cow. But I want to free you to be able to say that kind can mean something so small as a different kind of an animal, of a cow. Not just a cow versus a horse kind, but a cow versus a cow kind. The same, what we would call the uh, same species. But even within the species, God has broken it down into different kinds. Okay? And then he does go, goes on here in, in 19 and says, Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Now we're getting into the plants. Think about this. God taking it right down into the plants. Mingled seed. Neither shall thy garment be mingled, mingled of linen and woolen come of thee. Let's go to a, a cross-reference verse to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 9. We read again, and thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with diverse seeds. So again, this is, okay, this is reproducible. So if I grow two different kinds of corn together, they're going to produce a third kind of corn. God says that's not good. That is not okay in the word of God. Whether you like it or you don't, that's what it says. But it, here it gives it a label. It's going to tell you how God sees this third offspring, this offspring from mingled seed, which means they can reproduce. That's important to understand. Kind after kind can, we'll say kind outside of kind, can still reproduce. That's what the Bible is telling me, that it can still reproduce. All right. And it says, let thy fruit of thy lest the fruit of thy seed, which thou hast sown and the fruit of thy vineyard, be defiled. It's calling, we'll say the, the, the seed is now defiled. It's now been changed in such a way that it's displeasing to God. And so we need to do our very best to live a life that's been pleasing to God. And then if we would go to the food laws in Leviticus chapter 11 and in Deuteronomy, what we would find is again, the word kind is mentioned, kind after their kind, kind after his kind. And what we'd find, we probably won't find it as quite as specific as I just read. I just took you down to two corn, two types of corn should not be planted together because they'll mix and make a third type of corn. I just showed you from the Bible that two types of cows, both cows, both cows should not be bred together to produce a third type of cow. But then when we go into the food laws, we see that even within those different animals, he, even in the food laws, it breaks some of them down. For an example, he takes the owl and he'll break that down into different kinds of owls. They're all owls, but they're different kinds of owls, which throws this idea that kind means all, or always means family, the animal kingdom family, out the window. Because an owl is the family and inside that family are different types of cows. So the Bible takes that and throws that out the window. It says, nope, it goes much deeper than that. And there's different, and there's also in there a reference to different types of, of grasshoppers or locusts, all talking about the same kind, we'll say the same family, but it breaks it down into smaller groups and calls them kinds after kinds.
So here's, here's what I'm going to leave you with today on that question. And that is, I encourage you to, to look into this subject on your own. But I, I want to free you from being locked in to the idea that kind is a very broad word. It may very well be used in the Bible from time to time as a broad word. I don't know. I have not looked the word kind up in the Bible every single time. What you also, but we need to understand that the Bible and the verses that I just read does take us down to a very specific area of kind. And that even includes in the area of reproducing. Just because we can reproduce doesn't necessarily mean that it was God's will. And so it's important for us to understand that as we increase our knowledge and understanding of God's will for our lives. Because if we stand inside of God's will in our lives, I tr and I believe this more than anything else in the world, if we stand with God, we will be blessed in our relationship with him. When we stand against God, even in some of the smaller areas, we are missing out. We may not even know what we're missing out. Not everybody is going to have a, we'll say that great awakening. Oh, I've missed out on so many blessings. They may live and we'll say on decaf blessings their whole life. But I've lived on decaf blessings and God's opened my eyes to what the full caffeinated um, blessings look like. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I shortchanged myself big time. And I don't want to do it again. And I want to take the experiences that I've learned and I want to share them with you and help you to understand that when we walk closer with God, even though, and this is the guarantee, and the Bible teaches it, this should not be a surprise for Christians. The closer we walk with God, the greater our gap will be with the world. And that gap sometimes can be very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. But I'm telling you in the long run, even if it's on the day that we go meet him in the sky, we will be so glad when we look back that great day of judgment, we look back and say, I'm so glad I chose God over the world, if nothing else, for our eternal blessing in heaven. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.